from Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups, scale-ups, and grown-ups not suck at how they pitch themselves so they stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition. This podcast is all about bringing you the hearts, the minds, and the stories of leaders in the startup ecosystem, talking through the strategies they have deployed in order to build and grow their companies. And it's officially season 17 of the show, and all season long, we've got a special treat for you, bringing you guests exclusively from the Startup Hype Man client portfolio, giving you a piece of their journey. Before we begin, if you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And remember, you can catch all the episodes from our 17 season archive and learn how to pitch your startup at StartupHypeMan.com. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped because it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois. She is the co-founder and COO of Science on Call. Please welcome Luisa Castellanos. Woo, awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Raj. That was great. Um, she really is excited. Luisa yeah. Castellanos. She is the co-founder and COO of Science on Call. Science on Call is saving restaurants and retailers everywhere with on-demand IT services. They've got a tech platform supporting that along the way, and they have grown like crazy since their founding during the pandemic in 2020. Now, as a reminder, this entire season on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are featuring different startups who are clients within the Startup Hype Man portfolio. You may recall that in our last season, we had Luis's co-founder, Andy Freivogel. I believe I said his last name correct, Andy Freivogel, um, on our podcast as a guest. So this season, we're actually bringing Luisa on, the co-founder, as a guest as well. And I'm super excited to talk to you for this. Um, our topic today is raising your first 500K. Now, Luisa, this is pretty timely given all the success science has had over the last few months. But tell me, why is this on your mind and why is this important to you? Yeah, I, as you mentioned, we started in the pandemic. Uh, we were part of an accelerator program prior to that. And we were an IT consulting company. We were not a startup. And if you told me a year and a half ago that we would be where we are, I would have laughed. <laughs> like <laughs> 500K was just like an imaginary number. And now we're we're on our way to becoming, you know, a, a big deal. So it's really <laughs> exciting. Yeah. There's been a yeah, there's been a lot of awesome news coming out of your camp, uh, it, seemingly every week or at least every month. I see a new update, which is just incredible to see. And we're going to dive all into the journey towards raising this first half million dollars in our conversation today. But before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about you. Now, you and I actually both went to the same university, albeit at different times. But we did have, and then that was DePaul University. And we actually did both have the same entrepreneurship professor, albeit in different years. And that was Professor Patrick Murphy, who's actually been a guest on this show a couple of different times. I was a guest on his recent podcast or on his podcast recently as well. I've managed to keep in touch with him over the years, which has been great. And he's been a big uh, mentor and influence, influential figure in my life. I'm curious when you took that, you know, that entrepreneurship class when you were in college, A, 
did you think you'd actually go into entrepreneurship? Because I'll tell you, when I was taking that class, I didn't think so. And B, what do you feel is like maybe the one like lesson that you've taken away and maybe carries with you today? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like think back to that class and you are so right. I did not think I was going to be a, like a COO of a tech company. I was an artist. I studied entrepreneurship because I had started my first company when I was 11, but that was very much like my own art that I was selling. I made little stuffed animals and I sold them in stores and art galleries. I wanted to work at art museums. I wanted to work at art galleries. That was like the path I was on. And when I was in Professor Murphy's class, I met so many other kind of startup tech companies. We heard from all different entrepreneurs in that space and everyone would say how they failed 10 times before their successful company. And I was like, oh my God, that's brutal. That <laughs> sounds horrible. Why would I do that? <laughs> um, and so there was, there was one particular day I remember very clearly where we had to pitch someone else's company to some VCs and I didn't know what I was doing and they were really mean. <laughs> like they asked all these really hard questions and I was like, this isn't even my company, but I, I, I felt it. I felt kind of that real just nervousness and difficulty talking to somebody who would potentially give me money. And I look back to who I was then. I was like a totally different person. I was really shy and now here I am. And it's, it's a great place. I'm, I'm so happy I went down this path. It, it feels perfect. It feels right. I want to actually take it back then. You said you started your first company when you were 11 and you, you're essentially your dream was to work in art. Not every 11 year. I mean, a ton of 11, 11 year olds have creative hobbies and maybe, you know, do something that is creative, but not many actually are like, well, I'll start a business out of this creative hobby. Can you walk us back in time to 11 year old Louisa and you know, how did you get into art and how did you say, you know what, I should start selling these things that I'm making. Yeah. So actually right before that I had start making, started making, um, like iPod cases. <laughs> I, I, nice. I like learned how to sew and I would sell them at school. And I like, somebody was like, you're not allowed to sell stuff in school. And I was like, yeah, but I'm like an entrepreneur. This is cool. Uh, uh so I started making these stuffed animals and my parents were in the city at like a garden garden shop and they saw this little like fun toy store with like cool vinyl toys and stuffed animals that were like more artsy and so they popped in there and they were like you know these are like kind of like what Luisa's making like maybe we should stop in there and so I brought my stuffed animals to this store it's called Roto Fuji uh, in Chicago uh, and they loved it they were like oh my gosh let's let's sell these this is great I had no idea what to sell them for, what to call them. Like I just randomly decided I'd call them pocket pals because they all had a pocket with a little baby in it. So that was like kind of my <laughs> trademark. Um, and that's, so a, that's, a, that's I, a clever name. Yeah, yeah, except I thought I was cool. So I spelled it P-O-C-K-I-T-P-A-L-Z, of course, <laughs> with a Z. So like no one could find it online. It was like the weirdest name ever. But uh, I look did at that. that you were putting IT oh, in the name before you were working in IT. <laughs> exactly. You're right. I didn't even think of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I sold them at that store. They, I got invited to a whole bunch of art galleries in Chicago. Um, you know, all these other artists who were like 
two or three times my age and I would be walking around the art fair and like this, this little, I was very short. I still am very short <laughs> um, and everyone would like, I don't know. It, it was crazy. Cause I, I felt kind of like this fame and I would like, I look back now and I was like, am I ever going to be as like cool and famous as I was back then? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I sold in like some Whole Foods and different galleries in like LA, San Francisco, St. Louis, all over. Um, but yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't really have like a plan, obviously, you know, there was not a lot of education in like high school about how to run a business. I think that has definitely improved, but back then, like there was no, like how to market your business, how to start a business, how to like run a tech company, none of that. So, um, it kind of fizzled out. I still like to sew when I can, but it's become a lot less frequent. Um, but that was that was where I started. And I think Science on Call is still creative for me. And the businesses we support are all extremely creative. I worked for an ice cream shop in high school. And then I worked for that same toy store that I sold my toys at. And so I was always around entrepreneurs and small businesses. and that's where the idea of science retail came. So we were an IT consulting company for small businesses. I wanted to help the businesses that I worked for because they had horrible technology. They just didn't know what they were doing. Um, and so they needed somebody who could help them make those decisions and you know, pick a new point of sale system, pick an online ordering website, all that stuff. Uh, so that's, that's where we are pre-science on call. <laughs> Yeah. And for more on the science on call journey, I would encourage everyone listening to this episode to go back and listen to the episode with Luisa's co-founder, Andy, that we did last season, where we kind of, you know, it, the topic was around selling into restaurants, but we spent a good amount of time up front talking about the journey of science. And what's interesting is it might be good to go back and listen to that. And because that was only a few months ago, but to have but, but perhaps see the the change, if you will, uh, in and the growth even since then. So uh, go back to that episode to learn more about how science you know, was formed and everything. But let's dive into today our primary topic, which is raising your first five hundred thousand dollars. Now, as you mentioned, you started out as this IT consulting firm, um, and I think kind of the, the operative word there is consulting, which is a much different business model than well, I should say, seemingly a much different business model than what you consider a tech company to be. So when you launch science, then I would imagine, and I, if I recall, um, when I first met you, you weren't necessarily immediately in a capital raise mode. What was the transition point for you in saying, consulting firm that will just bootstrap to, let's actually raise some money for this? Yeah, so we, we bootstrapped science retail for five years and what changed was that we started to see, we were really getting pulled into restaurants and we signed our first big restaurant customer prior to Science on Call as sort of a subscription-based service. And so we, we saw that as a very successful model with a few of our legacy customers that we still have today from seven years ago. Um, and so they, they really liked that, that subscription model. So going into our first accelerator, Food Foundry, we, we actually met 86 repairs. Uh, Joe was the first person I saw when I walked into the Relish Works office and he told us what 86 repairs was doing. They were the one number to call for restaurant repairs. And I was like, 
that's kind of like what we do, but for IT, like, and so if they were in this accelerator program, I thought, well, why can't we do something similar um, and be in an accelerator and be a startup? And so we applied to Food Foundry and we got in and it was like the best day ever. Andy and I were like calling each other like, oh my God, this is like such a big deal. And so from there, we started to really think about how can this be scalable? We're still on that journey, but back then we knew that our company was going to change because that accelerator program was going to provide us with all the resources we need for changing our branding, building a financial model, talking to investors, how do we you know, talk about the scalability of our business? And now I look back, that was, that was really where we founded Science on Call. And we started to really think about the relationship we would have growing and scaling and not just being a consulting company that would just do whatever project for whatever company. There was, there was a very specific customer we wanted to go after there was a very specific model and we started to build more of a, a scalable company at that point. I want to just quickly for all the listeners, uh, just list off the buildup of the capital raise for you. So, um, and, and correct me if I have any of this wrong, January of 2021, you raised 75,000 from the relish works. Uh, That's 2020. <laughs> or sorry, 2020, 2020. 75,000. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, 300,000, yeah, 300,000 came from a friends and family round. And that was 2020 or that was 2021? Uh, it was sort of the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. Okay. Um, and then $100,000 comes from Techstars in July, June, July of 2021, followed by a $100,000 investment from Long Jump VC uh, in August, September of 2021. Yep. So that's four different areas where you're pulling capital from to help fuel um, science's development and growth. Can you, um, can you talk us through uh, the, the friends and family aspects specifically? This is something that is available for some founders and it's just simply not available for others. I wanna look at it through the lens, in this case of availability. What are those conversations like? Because I'll tell you, there are a lot of people myself included, who's like, man, I feel kind of weird talking to people I've like grown up with and, and et cetera, to ask them for a lot of money. So can you talk us through what that process is like to go to the friends and family network? And again, you raised $300,000 out of that network. Yeah. So, so actually we raised 225 from friends and family. The relish works is all in the same. Note. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, 225. No, yeah. It's okay. Two, but still 225 is, is a lot of money. And to ask friends and family, it is an uncomfortable conversation at times. Um, I will say Andy raised a majority of that. Um, he, he really pushed forward and reached out to his network. And I think once he got the first check um, from his dad, it really showed that the people in our network really believed in what we were doing and believed that we could build something big. Uh, prior to that, you know, everybody knew us as science retail and they would think like, why do you need this money? Like, <laughs> what are you doing with my money? Mm -hmm. um, but when we, when we went through Food Foundry, we learned how to talk about our company as a startup and something that can scale and why we needed that capital. And we, we had, you know, a, a, a deck, we had a one pager, we were able to send that to our friends and family and kind of walk them through our ideas in the future. 
Um, I reached out to several of my family members and I was really surprised by who was willing to give us money. Um, actually, it actually took me the longest to get my dad to give me money, <laughs> which is funny, <laughs> but, but he's just like a real hard ass sometimes. And <laughs> I knew that it was going to be a little bit harder to convince people who didn't understand what we were doing because it is a lot of money and everybody thinks, okay, I'm going to give you this money now, but what does it mean in the future? Is it going to give me a good return? And the truth is like, we are a startup. It could totally fail. Like you could lose all that money. That's, that's the reality, but because they believed in us and because they're, they're driving the success of this company. They're, they're the ones who've been with us from the beginning. They will always support us. And that's a really amazing feeling. I would highly suggest, you know, even if it's not a family member, but maybe it's somebody, um, you know, could be professor or a neighbor. And we, we have several of Andy's neighbors that invested. Um, and then we actually reached out to a customer of ours and he, he's kind of an angel investor and, and he, he gave us 50K. And then he told a friend of his and a friend of his gave us 50K. So it, it kind of like builds. Well, there's a network effect people. built in here. Exactly, exactly. They're like, well, I invested, like, why don't you invest? And, and it, that's, that's a lot of how I imagine future raises will go for us because we, we have built a network and people who believe in us and want others to be a part of that as well. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to just quickly point out here early on in this is there's a theme that I'm gathering of talking to get people talking. And what I mean by that is, you know, you said a few minutes back, you said, you know, you, you talked to this guy from 86 repairs and you were, and they were like, oh, we're the one number you call for any restaurant repair. And you're like, oh, that's what we're doing. But for IT, this accelerator, well, maybe we should be applying to that. And then you did get into that. And that's the power of you talking about your company. There are so, so, so many entrepreneurs who I will cross paths with who are in that mode of like, nope, stealth mode, can't talk about it. Nope, need an NDA before I can say anything about it. And to be honest, like a lot of times I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you gotta get off your high horse a little bit because yep. your decision to play it close to the chest like that in so many cases actually works against you. And in your situation, Louisa, your willingness to talk about it opened up a door, which then opened up another door and then got people to open up doors for you. Your, your decision to talk about it helped other people talk about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's an area where, where Andy and I have put a lot of focus is we, we show up. Like if there's an event, we're there. If there's a, you know, a, a partner company participating in something, we're there. We we love building our network and talking about our company. We're, we're really excited about what we do. We want everybody to know what we do because other people getting excited means they're going to tell their friends, Hey, have you heard of this company? They're doing this. Like I, you know, you, you would think like, Oh, it for restaurants is, is kind of boring. Like who cares? It's it. <laughs> but the way we've branded ourselves is kind of this fun. Uh, you know, we have like a Nokia phone, symbol that we use for <laughs> a lot of our branding and like we have like this orange yellow gradient it's very like poppy very like not it company and so i think that has helped us a lot with kind of spreading the word 
Andy is is a is a bassist in a metal band. I'm an artist. Like it's a very weird combination. And I think that's helped us too, is like we're just weirdos. Like we're not we're not your typical uh tech founders, I think, in a lot of ways. And we we hadn't run a tech company before this. So um yeah, just going back to talking about our idea, we we feel very confident that we have a really, really large um we're way ahead of the game, I think. Like we have a head start uh, in this in this path that nobody else has really gone after. Especially during the pandemic, nobody was going after IT for restaurants. Everybody who was doing IT ran away from restaurants because they wouldn't make any money. They were really hard to reach. And let's just go with like a doctor's office or a law firm. You know, we'll make more money from them. But we we stuck with restaurants, and I think that's what gave us a head start and we we still feel like we have a really great competitive advantage nobody else has really tried to do what we're doing in the same way so yeah i'll tell everyone all day every day like you know go for it go ahead and try like it's not not an easy industry it's not an easy uh service to offer for restaurants but we love it it's it's exactly what i want to be doing and our team feels it too our team loves helping the restaurants. And to your point, um, so much of that competitive advantage comes from the branding. And that I, I promise you, as science continues to grow, that will be a future episode where we have you and Andy back on is to just talk about the that ability to brand yourselves. Because it could be really easy to just be like, hey, let's do an iPhone as our logo or whatever, or as a big part of our branding and imagery, which is I think what most people would think to do. But you're like, you know what? It's 2020, 2021. Let's do a Nokia black and white cell phone. You know, I think I think that's something that th- there's a whole lot more we can unpack with that. I'll save that for a future episode. Okay. <laughs> um, Techstars was part of this journey, and that was earlier this year in 2021. That's a big deal for a lot of companies. Um, talk us through how you got into Techstars, the application process, and how do you feel participation in that impacted has has impacted your journey? Yeah. So we obviously we went through Food Foundry. We became Science on Call, and then we ran our business and we grew a lot um, during the first year of running our company. And I saw the application for the Chicago Techstars. And I thought, you know, let's give this a try. We had applied to Y Combinator a couple of times and didn't get in. And uh, we, we, we knew that Techstars was a big deal. And, you know, why not give it a try? We got into Food Foundry, let's give it a try. Um, and so we, we applied to the Chicago Techstars and about halfway through the process, um, we were introduced to Brett Brohl from Farm to Fork uh, Techstars in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Andy talked on the phone with him for a few minutes. And, you know, he was, he was, he offered Andy to apply to the Techstars Farm to Fork program, even though their deadline had passed. Uh, he, he was really excited to talk to Andy. And so we, we applied. It was a very, like, kind of informal application. We were just, like we were already part of the Chicago running. I think we were ready for like the, the last round of the Chicago um, application process, but we, we ducked out because we, we pretty much got into Techstars Farm to Fork um, after maybe two interviews um, with their um, committee. 
And once we got that acceptance, we we're like, well, we don't need, we don't need to go to Chicago, even though we're based in Chicago and it would have been much easier. We, we saw Techstars Farm to Fork as a much more, um, a, a better fit for us. We're, we're a food tech company, a uh, restaurant tech company, and all the companies in that program are all in the same space as us. Brett Brohl was like a, a big reason. I think Andy really felt a, like a lot of um, good motivation, like somebody who could really push us from Brett. And so here we are. We're still in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, our demo day is next Thursday, the 14th. I don't know when this airs, but <laughs> um, that's uh -huh. somewhere that's after that. The, okay. <laughs> well, hopefully you saw it if you're here. Um, so that's that's our like finale of the program. Um, but yeah, throughout TechStars, we we kind of skyrocketed. We grew our location base by 89% in the last three months. We've built a product roadmap. We've really started to hone in on our go-to-market strategy. And we have a pretty solid financial model. And I mean, everything about our business has, has made some change in the last three months. I think we've almost doubled our number of employees. Uh, we, yeah, we've, we've started to plan for our seed raise, which was a big deal, um, still is a big deal. And, uh, you know, hopefully when this airs, we'll, we'll have made some, some, movements on that but it's it's all been extremely beneficial to us as a company you know what i'm hearing out of that is this willingness to prioritize opportunity over convenience and what i mean specifically by that is you you said we could have applied to Techstars chicago that would have been easier just geographically because you all live in chicago but Techstars Minnesota had this farm to fork program, which was specifically more aligned with your vertical. And so that has meant, you know, temporarily renting an apartment and living in St. Paul, Minnesota for a few months, which is, I think, objectively far less convenient than continuing to live at your home in Chicago uh, and minimize the expense with, you know, a new apartment and all that stuff. But you're essentially, you're hedging opportunity as opposed to hedging convenience. And, and it, it really reminds me a lot of, you know, in our, in our last episode, we had Dapo Kolawale, who's the um, founder of Rumi, who, and prior to that, founder of City Spoon, who has made a killing in pitch competitions. And he knows that that's an excellent vehicle for him because he's gotten really good at them. And so he's willing to fly to Denver to participate in a pitch competition because he's gotten to the point where he's like, you know what, I'm probably going to win this thing or I'm probably going to get top three and come back with some money from this. And, and that's, it's really key. And, I, and maybe you could just speak a little bit more to that, this notion of not, not making the opportunity come to you, but going to where the opportunity is. Yeah. I, so I had never lived anywhere else besides Chicago. So it was a little bit exciting to me to go somewhere new that, I mean, I'd never even been to Minneapolis, St. Paul ever. And so it was exciting to, to kind of transplant myself for, for a few months. And there was so much more opportunity here because we've been working in Chicago for seven years. Like we, we know a lot of the restaurants, we know the scene there. We know the network of investors and food tech companies. We, we know it pretty well. And so being in Chicago was not 
I mean, I'm sure it would have been great, but we probably knew a lot of the people we were going to be connected with. And we still have the opportunity to be connected with them because we're part of the Techstars community. But coming here, there was a totally different tech scene. Like I think the first or second week we went to an event and we met some other founders from the Minneapolis St. Paul area and just seeing, you know, new investors, new accelerator programs, just a totally different network of people. The restaurants here are actually really great. Like I had no idea that Minneapolis had such a, a foodie scene. Um, so we've we've learned a lot about a new city and that has also given us a lot more ideas as far as expanding to other cities. So probably about 80% of our customers are in Chicago. We have about another 15% in Los Angeles. And then we actually have a chain of Popeyes in Iowa. And so we have expanded nationwide and this has given us a lot more confidence in expanding to other cities because it is just a, a flight away. And the pandemic made that a little more difficult, but it, it allows us to go see new places and actually experience what it's like there. The food scene in Los Angeles, like you're not gonna experience that unless you go there. And I've been there a couple of times and I hope to go there many more times, um, but then also going to other major hotspots of restaurants, you know, New York, Austin, all these other major cities that are kind of booming right now with restaurants. Um, so yeah, just going for it, making a big change, totally worth it. You can always go back. You know, it's, it's only three months, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Science on Call is all about technology. Another area of technology is website analytics. And listeners, I've got a question for you. How many of you hate your Google Analytics? I would bet quite a few of you are probably raising your hands right now. I know I always have issues with Google Analytics. Understanding where and why I lose site visitors before they convert is, to be honest, pretty hard. With GA, there's always some integration issue I'm dealing with, or there's like a mountain of data just to figure out where leads are coming from and how and why are they dropping off. And it, it's, a, it's a big headache. And that's why I was super excited to learn that there is a better way to measure website analytics, and that is Oribi. Oribi is, Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using any code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. So what does that mean? Well, finally, you'll be able to understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more visitors into leads and customers. So what that means is no more blind spots when it comes to your website. Oribi is a new partner of this podcast. And if you want to start your free trial, you can visit oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. And you can use the coupon code HYPEMAN, all one word, HYPEMAN, for 20% off any plan. Again, to start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. Use coupon code HYPEMAN for 20% off any plan. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we're with the co-founder and COO of Science on Call, Luisa Castellanos, and we're talking about science's journey in raising their first $500,000. Now, I want to transition, Luisa, over the final few minutes of the show today into your most recent check 
as of this recording anyway, who knows, by the time this airs, perhaps you'll have even more. But as of this recording, your first, I would say, formal uh, investor check, you raise friends and family and you raise accelerator money. And then Long Jump VC comes around, putting $100,000 into the company and ultimately bringing your total to about $520,000. And I will say maybe $521,000 if you include the pitch competition with Startup Grind that, that you won last year. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, can you talk through you know, the Long Jump process. Was it just like show up, pitch, and then you find out a month later if you've been funded or not? Or was this like pitch, meetings, more meetings, due diligence? Talk us through what this whole journey was like with Long Jump. Yeah. So going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, like just showing up, talking about your company, being involved in the community. I was part of the Latinx program at 1871, and they put you in front of all different mentors just really throw you into the community. And so I met Kristen, uh, Kristen Sande through that program. So she was familiar with me. She was familiar with our company. Um, she's one of the partners in the fund. And so I believe we, we just got like a, an outreach from, from their group and we're um, kind of given the, the offer to apply. And so that process, it did take a little while. There was a lot of back and forth, um, but I think a lot of that was that they're a fairly new fund. So they're all um, they're all founder-led. They're a founder-led fund in Chicago. And um, this is their kind of first cohort of startups that they've invested in. And so it was it was kind of like an initial meeting. Um, we had uh, one call sort of as like a tell us about science, like where you're at, what you're doing. And then- And was that like a pitch deck yeah. kind of thing or was that just like an informal? No. It's pretty informal. Yeah. And I think since they are founder led, they know where we're coming from. They know that, you know, kind of sitting through and walking through a deck and having like this super formal process doesn't always show you who the who the founder is. And so it was very informal. It was a lot more of just getting to know us as people. And I think that was a big reason why it clicked for us is that we felt like these were our people. You know, like we we really felt a great connection with them. They were not all like button up suit tie, like, you know, what is your ROI? Like, you know, all the numbers, like they just wanted to get to know us as people. And so we we did kind of an initial interview and then we met with the rest of the kind of partners of the group and they asked several more questions. They, they were tough questions for sure, um, but I think they were the right kinds of questions to really get to know how they could work with us. And that was really important to us um, early on is that we, we really want investors who want to be a part of our company and be involved in that growth. And they made that very clear. Um, we did actually, we, so we were given the offer um, over, over phone. Uh, Kristen called us like on a Saturday morning. She was like, hey, we want to invest. And it was so exciting. I, I like, I love Kristen. She's amazing. She like feels like someone I want to be a part of our company. And um, so we were really excited. We had to think a little bit more about like how they would actually be in involved. Like what were the specifics of who they could connect us with, how they would be involved in sort of the productization, um, sort of like big things that we were dealing with at the time were productization, our hiring strategy. And so they, they, gave us ideas right off the bat of how they would be able to help. And so that's when we decided we did want to take that money and 
and have them be a part of uh, science on call. Great. What were some of those? You said they asked some pretty tough questions. What What were some of those questions? Um, it, it was a lot about productization and scaling. Um, and it's kind of hard to remember this, like probably almost a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they asked a lot more about like our team and what like more specific plans for growth were, which, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with investors and we learn something new every single time. And I feel like after having all of those conversations, it's great practice for the real deal. Because when when Andy and I are usually involved in those um, conversations with investors, and so sometimes he'll throw in, like he talks about certain areas of the business and I talk about other areas of the business because I know our data off the back of my hand, like mm-hmm. they're asking about like unit, unit economics or gross margins or MRR, all that stuff. So I usually jump in with that information. Um, and, and we, we are a pretty great team, I think. And in those meetings. So if I understood that correctly, was this, was this a one year process from when you first talked to them to when there was finally investment? You mentioned it was, it was a year ago. Was that, was that accurate or was that a miss, a miss uh, saying? Maybe not a year, maybe like we probably started the conversation with, um, definitely like the beginning of summer, maybe like May, April, May. Okay. So it was still probably a four or five month process. Um, It feels like a year in pandemic times. I don't even know. (laughs) Like, I feel like, like we, we actually met the entire long jump um, team at an event in Chicago last week. And that was the first time we'd met any of them in person. Mm. And it was like hugs all around. Everyone is so excited. And like, I I just feel like they're our friends already, even though uh, we only met virtually. That's great. I've got, I've got two more questions before we begin our wrap up. Um, the first one is, can you speak to the importance of making sure it's, it's the right money instead of just any money? And, and what I mean by that is you mentioned how you felt a connection with long jump and with Kristen. Um, how important is, is making sure the money's coming from the right place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it has always been in the back of my mind when we have a conversation with an investor is, is this person really invested in us as people? And they're not just looking for what's their return going to be in five years. Like we've had meetings where it's like, okay, you're at this valuation now. What are you going to be at in five years? What's your exit strategy? They don't ask any questions about us as people. That's kind of a red flag for me is that it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be a good fit. Um, because our team is all so close and we all feel like we have a really good culture at our company and anyone we're bringing into that company needs to fit that culture, whether it's an employee, an investor, a customer, like it's, it's very important to us. So when I, when I felt that connection with long jump, I knew like this, this, they were good ones. (laughs) I want, I wanted them to be a part of this. Um, And, and we're having initial conversations for our seed raise right now. And it's the same same process where you have several meetings, that first meeting tells you everything. It tells you who they are as a person, what, what's important to them. Um, and we've had really, really great conversations that led to a no, and that's perfectly fine. It's just not a good fit. We don't, we don't meet their thesis and it's not the right time. Um, but there's still people that like, it, it kind of hurts sometimes where you're like, oh, I thought they were gonna be a good one. Um, but yeah, going forward, that's that's really important to us and, and what they can do for our company. And 
like not just kind of like give us money and be like, all right, here you go. Like, that's great sometimes, but it's great to have that extra push where they're like very invested in our success. Yeah. Now we have worked together in the past on the science pitch. And what was funny was not too long after working on that, Science won that startup grind pitch battle back in 2020. And Startup Hype Man was actually sponsoring the cash prize of that. So science, science won, you won your money back and then some. Um, can you talk through, you know, how important has having your pitch, you know, on lock figured out? And, and you know, perhaps it's not that you're always using the pitch deck, but are you even just informally having to talk about your company? How how, how would you say, if at all, is the has the pitch been uh, influential or, or impactful in this process? Yeah. So our demo day of Food Foundry, that pitch, uh, I mean, you helped us with it and you helped make it our own in like a very professional way that like we cut out a lot of slides from that. We we condensed it so it was very simple and easy to understand. Because if you start talking about a bunch of numbers or if you don't have some some kind of start and stop moments where like people have a chance to digest, that is so important. And it's a lot of that comes from your confidence, I think, like that you're not just reading off of a script, that you know it, you know it by heart. And Andy's really good at that. I am not good at that. Like I can do these conversations all day, every day, but I cannot memorize a pitch. Like I know all of our numbers. I know like the themes and like questions people are going to ask, but it's so hard for me to memorize. And so he's he's always done like our demo days and like kind of initial pitch um, type of uh, interactions. And so with Techstars, actually the, the first couple of weeks is mentor madness where they, they connect you with over 80 mentors in three weeks. So it's like 11 meetings a day. And Andy, by the end of that had the pitch nailed, like every single meeting, he made some improvement. And I feel like by the end of it, Ken, Ken and I were like, Oh, I could probably say this mm-hmm. pitch by now I've heard it 80 times like <laughs> a few like few tweaks along the way but it was like he nailed it by the end it was like he didn't even have to think it just came naturally and I think that helped a lot because we, and we got a lot of great feedback the mentors gave us feedback at the end of that and like almost everybody was able to understand what we did and that was really important like if if people can't understand what you're doing. They're not going to go tell their friends about it. (laughs) And so they're not going to go tell investors. They're not going to go tell customers. And so we, we made sure that was really like front and center was what we do, what the problem is, how we're solving it. And, and a lot of that's the que pasa uh, format too. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like it just, just keep it simple and have confidence. Right. Let's begin our wrap up now. First off, where can our listeners find you, Louisa, and learn more about you and about science? Yeah, so you can go to scienceoncall.com to learn more about science. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. That's pretty much the one social media that I'm on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do I do have a website of like some of my old pocket pals. If anyone's curious, you can just, uh, my name, louisacastellanos.com. Uh, yeah. So for any of you who are still walking around with the iPod with the click wheel, Louisa's yeah. got you covered with the pocket pal. Um, who is, who's one person that you want to shout out today? Could be a advisor, a colleague, a mentor, a friend, a coworker, anybody. Yeah. I want to shout out to my dad. And like I mentioned him earlier as being a bit of a hard ass, like that was so important to how I 
my, my path to being an entrepreneur because I knew that was what I wanted to do. But in order to do that, I needed to prove to him that I could be successful. And, you know, he would always tell me, you got to get a job with like Google or Apple. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a big company. Like I want to provide my employees with opportunities and to do that, I need to grow this into a big company. And so he's, he's like the hardest working person I know. He, he works for fun. And I'm seeing that in myself now is like any free time I have, I'm like, oh, I could go do that one thing that I said I was going to send or whatever. So pros and cons to that. But as long as it's what you love, then that's all that matters. We'll now do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. Our topic today was raising your first $500,000. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Um, to me, uh, I think the, the biggest lesson from today is if you want to get the people talking, you have to start talking. Do not hide behind stealth mode and NDAs. Talk about your company to generate buzz, which will then generate uh, returns of many different varieties in your favor. Louisa, top one or two takeaways for the listeners. Yeah, I would say you have to believe in what you're doing. It, you know, if you have an idea, that's great, but you have to feel that idea and you, you want that idea to succeed. That's something that I will never, I will never let this company die because I care so much about it. Um, but finding other people who feel that way as well will will bring you a long way. My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show. Fill in the blank, Louisa. Entrepreneurship is blank. Passion. I think it's passion. Why passion? Like I just said, you, you have to be passionate. You have to want this to, to grow. You have to dedicate a lot of your time. Sometimes you have to take risks. And if, if you don't feel that, it's going to impact your company for sure. Entrepreneurship is passion. She is Luisa Castellanos, co-founder and COO of Science On Call, who is well on their way to doing big things on the scene and changing a lot of lives for a lot of restaurant owners and teams. Luisa, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is great. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or do us one better. Hit the share button. Send this episode to one friend who you think needs to hear it. While you're on your way out, don't forget to follow Startup Hype Man on Instagram and LinkedIn at Startup Hype Man. And remember, you can also connect with today's guest as well. They left their contact info. They love hearing if what they shared helped you in any way. StartupHypeMan.com is the place to catch the full 17-season archive and learn all about how to pitch your startup. We'll see you next week, but until then, stay hyped. Raj Nation out.